evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Ash. My name is Craig Schneider. That gentleman, 1,850 miles southeast of me, is none other than Senior Keep Fisher. And we are coming to you live for the 176th time this 23rd day of March, 2018. Mr. Fisher, how the heck are you? I'm pretty good, I reckon. How about yourself? Fantabuloso-ish. <laughs> a mente. Mm-hmm. I am smoking a lovely cigar. I have been he- healthy all week. The children have not gotten the best of me. Um, I'm here with a very good friend of mine recording a podcast. I couldn't be any better. Yeah. You're happy as a puppy with three pickers. With four, perhaps. <laughs> Now, let's not be crazy. I know. You're right. You're right. I, I shouldn't be. Uh, I shouldn't be nuts. <laughs> ah. Oh, that was almost an unintended additional pun there, wasn't it? Yeah, almost. Almost. Ah, I got to get myself situated. I got rum that I have to drink. I was about to say smoke. And you'll be happy to see Mr. Fisher. Does that bottle look familiar? Say, this would be the Club Punta Cana XOX 50th anniversary Oliver rum for connoisseurs. All I know about this rum is that it came from uh, Mike Stewart's visit to the Dominican Republic, that it is lovely, and that it is a Dominican rum. Is that correct? It is. Uh, you you pretty much have said and know everything I know would know about it. <laughs> well, there you go. Hmm. Maestros, Roneros, Dominicanos, y Cubanos, Selección, Los Mejores, Destilado de Caribe y Centro America. <laughs> Can I sound any more American? <laughs> that was funny. So apparently... Dominican and Cuban selection of uh, the Dominicans and Cubans have selected this rum. Is that correct? Uh, you this sh- show me that label. I don't really know what you just said. <laughs> uh, well, whatever it is, I am having some. It was delicious yesterday evening. I have maybe one and a half fingers total that have made its way from the Dominican Republic to me, and I will savor every bit of it. Cool. So, thank you, Mr. Fisher. Bien. And and Mr. Stewart. See. See. Ah, well, you uh, you sound quiet this evening. The computer troubles are sorted out, and uh, you are smoking a cigar. I hope everything's well. Everything is well. I'm having some issues with my mic that we've been trying to iron out these past couple of shows. And <laughs> it's already been mentioned in the chat room, but I can't can't seem to figure it out. But one of these days, I reckon I'll, I'll get there. Well, perhaps what we should do is, can you lower my audio so everybody else can just turn themselves up? Um, we could, but that would screw with the, the recording. We can also start over, too. I I don't think it's going to help anything. I mean, I don't Uh, know what... I have changed and tinkered with every setting I know to to mess with. mm, Well, 
it was it was good while it lasted. We're eventually no longer going to be able to do the show because Kip is going to be quieter and quieter. Well, fade into the ether. I do know that the change seemed to occur when the um, the little port that I was using on the computer went AWOL and I had to switch to a USB port. Everything seems to have happened about that time. Mm. I have nothing to say other than... Mm. Yeah, sound like I know what I'm talking about. However, if you want to tell us a little bit about this cigar and its history and how much it means to you, I will make an attempt at, at an adjustment here. No problemo. So what Kip is speaking to is the fact that tonight is not a Smashing Pumpkin song. It is my evening my uh splendid opportunity to donate some cigars to the show to allow kip and i to smoke one of my favorite experiences which is the el rey del mundo grandes de españa um i i wrote this before i lit the cigar up and i was as i can imagine uh as i can imagine you can tell after you hear or you will tell i was a little excited Granis de España, the cigar that is a Lancero's more suave brother. At 38 by 7 and 5 eighths, it's naturally box-pressed. Oh, boy, that was loud. Cool. Can you hear me a little better now? Holy guacamole, you sound like you're in the room with me. I am back on the original port. I just, uh, well, I just wiggled my cord a little bit, and it came around, so hopefully it'll stick. Well, uh, wiggling one's... Wiggling's one's cord is not something that we typically talk about on this show, but uh, <laughs> if it worked for you, I'm glad. Whatever it takes. <laughs> 220, 221. Well, <laughs> I love that movie. Mm-hmm. This cigar is 21 years old this month, and so that means, yes, it was made in 1997, in March of 1997. Um, and it smokes as if it's got the college education of a 21-year-old. It is suave. It's complex. There's so much going on here. I am hyperbolic with this because I love this cigar. Of all that we've had on Half Ash, the El Rey Del Mundo brand represents the one that I've had the best luck with vintage cigars with. And that uh, I have absolutely been lucky enough to experience in abundance these are a rare treat for me now, the, especially in this Granis de España Vitola. Um, but they are uh, they are one of my prized boxes. They're floral, sweet, and bready, almost akin to something like a breakfast pastry. They represent the perfect balance of, in complexity that a completely, unequivocally mild cigar can provide. Um, they have decades left of substance, and I look forward to continuing the journey of this box right along with them. Creamy tea flavors with some honey and sweet baking spice round out the expected profile. And when younger, which technically these are at 21 years old, for the uh, when talking about vintage El Rey Del Mundos, they can also be slightly toasty and still hold on to a tobacco-centric core. So I think these, uh, after having lit this up, I'm now about three-quarters of an inch in. I would say this is... Uh, definitely floral and sweeter, not overly sweet, but um, 
a softer profile, definitely floral, um, but still with a bit of toasty tobacco flavor to it. Um, not, uh, not necessarily the creamy tea and honey that I had, uh, come to expect from this, this brand when vintage, but getting there. Now you had commented an interesting flavor to me. I, I did. When I first lit up, it was coming across kind of like a, a, a sourdough kind of flavor, which I was un, unexpected from your description and, uh, quite pleasant actually although then it, it kind of floated more in line with how you described the floral uh floral ishness i mean they <laughs> but I, i'm probably i get it's hard to tell i don't i don't have my handy dandy ruler here uh at, at hand but probably about the same as you maybe three quarters of an inch into it and it seems to have kind of settled back between those two things it's not really uh, uh, drawing out a salivary kind of response the way the sourdough was and and maybe not quite so floral as it was before. So I'm going to kind of peg it somewhere between those two descriptions for the, for the time being. Actually, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty spot on with what I'm uh, experiencing here. I'd say that <clears throat> um, there is definitely a bit of a brightness to it. Uh, but the floral is not as, well, I'll say that the, the, the floral flavors kind of really, really reared their head when I, uh, uh, initially was getting into this and they have subsided slightly. They're still there, but I can taste that breadiness. Um, and it's, it's almost tannic breadiness and that's why sourdough works well for me. I think, um, I, I agree with that statement on these samples um and i think in more time that that sourdough flavor um would break down and it would become a little sweeter and not have that kind of tannic sourness that goes along with it and it would just be a a really beautiful sweet yeasty flavor um that it's it's odd to describe but there are there's a really really high-end bakery in our area and they have almond croissants um, that are literally just, you know, butter, flour, some almond extract, um, and a little bit of sugar. And it's, it's just so interesting how that kind of sweet pastry, even though those I don't think have yeast in them, um, how that sweet pastry just reminds me of this cigar. Um, I really love these. And if you ever have the chance, if you're ever at a location that, you know, uh, um, deals in vintage tobacco, vintage cigars, the El Rey Del Mundo line is one that is not to be missed. I would rather have a vintage El Rey Del Mundo than I believe any other brand, most likely. So, uh-oh, I believe we've lost Mr. Fisher. Mm, maybe we haven't lost him, but he is not making a noise, I'll tell you that much. So, well... Anyways, I, uh, I'm about, uh, yeah, right around three quarters to an inch in there. And Kip, if you are coming in at any point, feel free to just jump right in. I don't need to hog all the conversation. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. I can. Oh, you lost me because I had turned my volume down. <laughs> I, I had a, uh, witty little jab at you and you didn't even get to hear it. Now I don't even remember what it was. 
<laughs> God bless that tumor. No, it wasn't a jab at all. I was you. You said that this would be your selection, your 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 brand to go with, and I said even over uh yeah Ramon Ayones. Uh, when younger, Ramon Ayones without question, but uh, when when these cigars start getting to an extreme age, I have had such amazing experiences with El Rey del Mundo that. I would be remiss to pass these up if ever given the opportunity. They are they are something special. Can I just tell you how lucky you are that Bob McDuffie is not here to hear you say of a twenty one year old cigar that it's not quite there yet. <laughs> it's not quite ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, no, I'm not saying that this isn't good, and I'm also not saying that they're not enjoyable when young. I, I'm I'm just saying that uh, I have had some truly lucky experiences in my life, um, at which allowed me to see what these could become at three decades plus, and um, it's just they're unbelievable. They are absolutely unbelievable. So, so there. Okay, I'll buy that. I'm just saying, nonetheless, you would take some crap from Bob McDuffie. Oh gosh, the crap that I would take, you could shovel it. It'd be so deep. <laughs> yeah. I I was uh I was a oh about as passionate as you can get when it came to cigars in 2006 or thereabouts. Um and I was invited to join a confidential club of vintage cigar enthusiasts and shortly after I joined um one of the gentlemen uh, had a friend of his who had passed away, and story goes that oh, I need to puff on this. Hold on one second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The gentleman's friend had passed away, and his wife was looking at selling some of his cigars, and so there were boxes of El Rey del Mundo, um, El, uh, El Rey del Mundo, Upman, and some Monte Cristo. None of them were were very well known uh, versions of those cigars. It was an Upman machine made tubo, a Monte Cristo Especial, uh, which is the Lancero, and then um, an El Rey del Mundo uh, Isabel, which is basically like a little um, uh, oh, what do I want to say, Panatella. So not not great sizes, and these boxes were like the guy had convinced his friend's wife or his friend's widow to sell him for $250 a box, $300 a box. And they were 35 year old vintage seller kept vintage cigars from Switzerland. I think, um, I mean, and it was just, it was a feeding frenzy The the few dozen boxes that were available, I bought a number of them. Um, and they were, they were some of the most fantastic cigars that I'd ever had the chance to get. And then I, I had that taste. I was like a shark who had tasted blood for the first time. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I started finding some contacts at old European tobacco merchants and uh, just, you know, dropping an email, seeing if somebody would answer and that sort of a thing. And I had some good luck with a Swiss merchant, uh, Vahe Gerard. Um, and who I believe was at that time no longer by Gerard, but it was his son. Um, 
and uh, I managed to come across a case of 20 boxes of El Rey del Mundo Lonsdales from the mid 70s. And he sold them for $220 a box. Wow. Uh, and those cigars were, uh, they were hit and miss. Not all of them were great, but the ones that were great were the best, most consistent um, vintage cigars that I've ever had. Uh, you would get a good box. Every single one of them was perfect. Uh, and they were, they were special, really freaking special. Um, so I know what El Rey Mundos can become, and these are uh, these are definitely not reaching their peak. And I, my lighter is dead, which annoys me. <laughs> Guess you're gonna have to rub two sticks together. <sighs> Luckily, I have some. So that uh, that gets into some of my adoration for uh, El Rey Mundos and vintage El Rey Mundos. So let me ask the obvious question. Shoot, you have ancient thirty-five-year-old versions of these cigars, and we know a few things happen. Crop years change year to year, blending habits or or reblends occur, whatever. So there's a lot of blend drift as years go by, and that's a long period of time. How, how reproducible do you think it is, just because it has this? mark on it and do you think how much how much drift do you think has occurred or if you put aside a box of these five years ago and then 30 more years are they going to be similar or are they going to be just as good going to be wildly different and garbage over the hill flat i don't know this means anything but just me pontificating uh, i think that uh realistically there is without a doubt drift that's a good term um <clears throat> it's probably unintended lateral shifts. And that's for a number of reasons. One, the the major tobacco varietal change in 1995. Um, you're no longer seeing Corojo being used. These This tobacco is not Corojo. This tobacco is basically what would uh, be famed or well-known as a Bono 2000 leaf. So this uh, was right on the cusp of that change. Uh-huh. Now, there are some people who will argue that boxes that were distributed in late 1995 were made with Abano tobacco. And there were some that will argue that in 1995, Abano tobacco was first planted. So I don't know what the answer is. And quite frankly, there's so little infrastructure. Um, and it was shortly after the fall of the Soviet Union. And so, so much of the things that Cuba had come to rely on, like fertilizer, like finances were nowhere to be found. And so who the hell knows what some random farmer was planting and using in 1995 or yeah, approximately 1995 when this tobacco would have gone in the field. Um, it may have even gone in the field in 94, actually being that it was distributed and or left the factory in early 97. So either way, I do not think this is Corojo. It does not at all burn like the Habano leaf that was was starting. Or does, does not burn. Right, which was very much starting to become uh, uh, well-known for all the wrong reasons in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, so you have that. 
you have all those other factors which can influence the outcome of a biological lack of <laughs> of fertilizer or nutrients or um, uh, fields that are practically dead. You absolutely should be factoring that in. The late 90s were thought of to be a terrible time for cigars, primarily for that reason. You're starting to get into the inter- internet boom, and so you started to be, excuse me, yeah, the internet boom. So you started to see overproduction as well. Not so much early 97. It was later 97 and into 98 and 99, especially. Um, so all those things weigh into supporting your implied uh, point of how close can this really be to a cigar that was made in the mid 70s during essentially a stable point um, in the Cuban cigar manufacturing stage. Um, and you're absolutely right. It, the identical product can't be expected, but a, a shifted version of that, I certainly think can be, especially because I've seen similarities in 20 or different cigars without question. I haven't gotten the same beautifully sweet. Um, oh, you know, another, another, characteristic to note is that with these cigars that were 30, 35 years old, your palate was left so clean. There was absolutely no residue on it. I, after, after I have a cigar, I ha- often have very bad breath, um, which is a weird byproduct for me, but it's something that I get. There's a bit of a coating to my tongue that I almost could scrape off um, and, and an, an odor. I don't have that or I didn't have that with these cigars when they were that old. Um, And one of the things that I've always been curious about and don't know enough about chemistry to determine is whether or not the tobacco had broken down to the point where there weren't some of those byproducts that, that were just left whole and potentially reacting with my body's natural uh, um, constitution. Um, so I, I don't I don't know those answers, but it's always kind of left me wondering if uh, there was some magical stage of, shall we say, decomposition that the tobacco goes through that reaches this, uh, you know, uh, develops into this beautiful finished product. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those things that you or I don't have the uh, history, or at least not the documented history to to formulate a very in-depth and detailed progress or, or chain of evidence, so to speak, of a particular blend over a 20-year period and then sampling that from every year in between where you could match up and see, well, this has changed, but it's not really like those or whatever. Even if we did, it wouldn't be a big enough sample to, to really matter. But it, it's something sometimes it's fun to talk about. Oh, it absolutely is. And I'd be an idiot if I, well, I'd be more of an idiot if I, if I thought that, you know, my gosh, five boxes, let's say of 30 year old El Rey Del Mundo's that I've been lucky enough to own in my life was enough of a sample size to really determine any, any laws or rules. Quite the contrary, 120, 125 cigars. Um, <laughs> talk to a scientist about 120. Uh, results. See if that's enough. See if that's uh, enough to develop a, a, a logical uh, theory from. I think it might be a little light. I think you are correct. Hmm. 
anyways, these cigars are um, are unique. I very much enjoy them. Um, they are not my favorite cigars in that <clears throat> in that um, I'm always stocked up on El Rey del Mundos. They are cigars that I have a couple boxes of in the hope that I can keep them long enough to become the treat that I have experienced in the past. Um, because when they are that old, then they are some of the best things that I've ever had. Cool. So that is quite the, uh, quite the, uh, introduction to this show. We haven't even gotten a news yet. I know we actually are talking about what we're smoking. If you can believe that. Who'd have thought that we would talk about cigars on this cigar podcast? I don't know. We're dropping off. (laughs) Well, Hey, we've, uh, we've got news maybe a laugh or two and certainly more cigar talk coming up. So stick around folks. It's uh, sure to be another enjoyable evening of half ashed and some rum. (laughs) Well, I have coffee, but it's even cold now. (laughs) Why do I think that that's some sort of a veiled uh, comment about me talking too much? No, (laughs) no, not at all. It just happened to be what I was drinking before the show, and it's now gold. Well, good. Not that it's cold. Ah, never mind. Uh, <laughs> before we move on, your uh, you have a question in the notes posed to me, and no, that uh, you must be thinking of someone else. I have never even experienced this brand brand other than to maybe have a, a fleeting memory of what the band looks like. Uh, I seem to recall sending a couple of those up to you after an IPCPR or something, and you really liked them, and then they were just, like, gone. Oh, man, I have no memory of that if you did. Okay. Yeah. I, you know my memory sucks. I probably never happened. <laughs> that's true maybe you meant to send them convinced yourself you did and then waited until the tumor made you forget that you were supposed to send them and had them yourself <laughs> well why don't you get into it tell me about this my man well it, it probably may not have made the notes if this is not a cigar you like but I'm nearly 100% certain you did but it's the Soneros uh, Soneros which were uh, a brand that came out several years ago. They were distributed by Cubanacon. And I think even going back to right about the end of Dog Watch, we had, had talked about these on Dog Watch and then subsequently smoked them over some period of time huh. uh, with, with this show. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. The brand went away. There was a disagreement between the Gonzalez family who were making these in a different factory and they were being imported to the U S and distributed by Kubanacon. And there was a disagreement about uh, over ownership of the brand and, and they just kind of fell away and went off the market. Well, fast forward from 2015 ish or so until now and the Gonzalez uh, have opened up. Uh, this has been quite some time ago. They opened up the La Corona factory and have begun making this. They settled the, the suit, settled the problems and the issues they had with the ownership. And um, 
they're making them again. They're going to be coming back into uh, the U.S. and distributed by White Hat Distribution, which you may know and remember as the distributors for the uh, Hirochi Robainas, his lines, uh, which I, I know you like because we've talked about those a number of times. Um, but they're about to hit the market again sometime in the next four or five weeks or so. They'll start showing up on shelves. And it's going to come in two wrappers, which I think it was the setup originally. Um, the Abano Claro, it's going to come in Corona Gorda, Robusto, Toro, and Gordo, range from 545 to 845 US dollars, which I thought was a pretty attractive price these days. Uh, and uh, it's also going to come in a Maduro version, the Abano Maduro, and the same Vitolas. But uh, coming in at about 50 cents more per stick. Um, so anyway, I just thought I'd mention those because I knew you were a fan, or at least thought you were a fan. Um, but uh, we seem to have wound down just the sound for just a minute from Craig. So I'm going to take a quick break here, and uh, we'll bring him back in momentarily. All right, we're back, folks. Sorry for the uh, momentary lapse of reason ability audio i like the fact that we both just said reason at the exact same moment i was hoping that was the case and it wasn't my mic acting goofy again so nope <laughs> cool well jumping right back into the stories uh we have several um fda related legislatively related things over the past couple of weeks since our last show um First, uh, I don't know what we need to say here. I feel like you may have some comments. Um, the The FDA is opening up a time, a period of 90 days for comments to receive comments uh, regarding flavored tobacco products specifically and within that realm specifically their appeal to and usage by underage smokers. Um, so this is opening up, opening up and will run through mid-June or so. Um, and you said maybe you, is this what it was you'd had a conversation about in the past day or two? Um, it was flavored tobacco as a whole that, um, Swisher Inc. that owns or is the controlling, uh, body over Drew Estate. There were some rumblings from uh, a gentleman that I spent some time with yesterday who's a pipe smoker, um, that the Drew Estate pipe tobacco went the way of the dodo because Swisher is starting to Swisher is starting to kind of have some pushback and not want to be overly diversified, I guess, in flavored tobacco. Um, and that the flavored tobacco that isn't an immediate moneymaker is going to go away. Now, to me, my first reaction to these comments from, from this gentleman was a little bit of uh, shock. I was surprised that that uh, they thought that. And then the more contemplation I had here, it has potentially no impact from the FDA's perspective. If Swisher is looking at getting rid of some of these things that will become more of an anchor, some of these flavored tobacco products that will become a bit of an anchor on themselves, that just sounds like good business for them rather than something where they're worried about the FDA's influence. So that was more what my conversation, where my conversation started yesterday, but that spurred on 
another facet of uh, of thought, um, which ties into another news story that we have a little bit lower about what a premium cigar is. Um, and so this this was a whole revolving conversation that I think kind of will come full circle. And eventually people are going to either by definition, ace out uh, flavored tobacco, or it will be, it will be a broad enough description to include flavored cigars, though I lean away from that. And the reason why I lean away from that. It's going to be very, very broad here and get even wider and get into overall nicotine delivery devices that are not cigarettes. Um, Example given, vape sticks and vape pens. Um, The FDA's comments here, uh, or, or I guess direction here, is that they're soliciting comments specifically regarding the appeal to underage smokers. And I think that if you're going to, if you're going to have a discussion about nicotine delivery devices, you have to, you have to start including the electronic vapor nicotine delivery systems. And to me, it seems like that may logically wind all this up in a pretty little package or wrap all this up in a pretty little package. And somehow, <clears throat> somehow that may be the outcome that we're going to see that something that is not a premium cigar by definition X falls into some sort of a nicotine delivery device that we need to try and save the children from. Um, yeah, and and vapes are commonly and largely lumped into and included with tobacco products, even though some of them these days are not even derived from tobacco. That they're entirely synthesized. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I have a uh, a friend of mine who's in the medical. He's an emergency room <clears throat> doctor, um, and he started talking about a series of of cases where he has seen people come in with lesions in their mouth that are not caused by bacteria. They're just these lesions that are not going away. And right now the only, the only link that has tied these cases together um, uh, is that the multiple people who have had these lesions have all been heavy vape consumers or vape users um, and I thought that that was very, very interesting and that we're just, just seeing all of this start to come to a head. And I don't think it's going to go away, but I would not be surprised if, if some of this is pointing in a direction different from premium cigars. Um, I, I don't know. It just, it's seeming like there's a lot of things that are that are shaping up to maybe differentiate a cigar from uh, what are, what's the big um, high school kids around here jeweling. Is that right? I have no idea. I don't, I've never heard that word before. Uh, basically it's a, a vape stick that looks 
and is approximately the size of a USB flash drive mm-hmm. um, and looks just like that. And uh, <clears throat> that is a very common um, problem around here that the, apparently um, the high school in the town where I'm at is no longer allowing flash drives, students to have flash drives um, because it's <laughs> because a five and a quarter inch floppy in their hands. <laughs> Yeah, so I, or, I don't know. Maybe I should say put several hundred five and a quarter inch floppies in there. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe even more than that. Were five and a quarter floppies like two megabytes or something? One point two. There you go for oh, for yeah. the for for the compressed version. The smaller <laughs> one was like seven hundred k. Oh my gosh! Oh man, man, have computers changed since we were kids? We. I was already grown when you were a kid. (laughs) Aren't you like eight years older than me? Yeah, something like that. Oh, come on. I grew up with a computer. My grandfather was an electrical engineer, and we always had one in our house. (laughs) I I remember a time long before there was a computer in my house. (laughs) Well, okay. All right. I'll give you that, definitely. But I would say that... that, You probably have childhood memories from the early 80s, and I'd say the early 80s was the time when when uh, a personal computer started to become a reality for people. Yeah, yeah. The first computer I had in my house uh, had no thing like a, a hard drive. It, it, you, you could type in 8,000 lines of basic if you wanted and save it on a cassette tape, just like Used to, oh you gosh. could listen to audio on. <laughs> Jeez. Crazy, crazy, crazy. All right. Well, you know, we had such a good start to the show about cigars. <laughs> and now we have uh, we have somehow diverted. I don't know what happened. That's what happened when you get old and addled by a tumor and things just drift. I know what happened. Half-ashed happened, Kip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, whatever we got, more uh, more legislative tomfoolery. The um, omnibus, which is in recent times has been the U.S.'s modus operandi of funding the government, um, <laughs> has gone through again and once again was stripped of any language that would provide for an exemption or even a definition of premium cigars. Um, so we're back where we were before in, 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 in some respect, um, in the sense that cigar manufacturers, retailers, smokers, uh, consumers, so smokers, I guess, aren't consumers, but um, that, that have been hopeful for some kind of relief from this oncoming regulation and these oncoming deadlines, some of which have been delayed, but they're still coming. Um, we're going to have to wait and see how some of the myriad lawsuits that are active at the moment turn out, pan out. Um, However, there was a little bit of a glimmer of hope maybe that that popped up this week and is expected to come to fruition this upcoming week on Monday, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, The FDA is going to open a new comment period uh, for not necessarily an exemption for premium cigars, but maybe more 
like trying to define what a premium cigar is and if and how they should be regulated or not, or if there's some some way, some sense, or some definition that could could um, designate what a premium cigar is and why the usage habits are different and why the impact physiologically is different. And so uh, I don't know what's going to come of it, to be honest, because we had a similar comment period that was largely ignored the first time around. <laughs> but um, some assertion has been made that there have been a couple of studies since that initial comment period that would help to define those terms and would help to assert that under normal circumstances and quote-unquote normal uh, premium cigar usage, that maybe it is a different animal and it is something that's quantifiable. I have not read those. I haven't seen those. I, I, I do expect over the weekend to kind of dig around and see if I can find what it is because in all the, the emails I've gotten from our groups, the CRA, IPCPR, J.C. Newman sent out an email as well uh, about this, have kind of vaguely mentioned these studies, but I've not yet seen a link to them or text from them, so I don't know what they truly say just yet. Um, but the comment period will open up, uh, I believe, this upcoming week, and will go presumably for 90 days like all the others. Um, so... We'll see. We'll see if anything uh, shakes out differently this time around. I guess. I am. I, I'm just convinced that <clears throat> the resolution to this is through a mutually agreed upon definition of premium cigar. I I really, I really think that's how we're going to come out of this. That's the only logical way to come out of this. Ambiguity is going to get us nowhere, uh, especially when some new congressman comes in and has got a wild hair that uh, he's going to save the children. Um, what's going to happen is is that if this isn't defined concisely and completely, it's going to always be an issue. Um, and I think that this is for the best that we provide our comments are respectful and educated and, and objective comments as to how we um, feel this can truly be defined. Yeah, just unfortunately respectful, objective, those are not things typically tied to American legislation these days. No, they're not. I mean, they're not. I, I saw <laughs> I think it was the Senate Minority Leader, a speech that he was giving when he was throwing around the, literally the printout of the omnibus <laughs> uh, legislation, tossing it on on adjacent desks, and you know doing the grandstanding thing. Uh, I, I just watched that video today. Thought that was rather apropos. You see one of those every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Yeah, we one can hope that something agreeable, quantifiable, and codifiable uh, comes down the pike. But I don't know. I mean, one thing that that we have always said is that cigars are by no by by no one's account for one group of people. We have we have all shared that story of the the punk nineteen year old 
and the the 65 year old retiree and the 30 year old woman and the you know the the middle aged shopkeep who's barely making ends meet all sit down have a cigar laugh and solve the world's problems there is there is that common thread that black white straight gay republican democrat that i just feel like a cigar has this magic ridiculous uh ability to help us see past that and uh you know it's hocus pocus it's it's pie in the sky but it's also it's also a hope that maybe we can hate the other person but still enjoy their company over a cigar <laughs> you know proverbially yeah. speaking i get what you're saying i, I just sometimes worry that it, 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 if the marketplace the 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 scope of cigar smokers is like a melting pot to make some kind of comparison to the U.S. I just worry sometimes that the pot is has gotten very small to really have a voice in American politics. Very valid. I would hope that there's enough of a stereotypical rich white man uh, mentality in that Congress people are often well, I don't think often anymore. I don't know if there would be a congressman without a net worth that was in the millions these days. Um, and uh, maybe there's a little bit of that stereotypical cigar smoker left in some of those people. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> that was an awful deep sigh for you to basically <laughs> tell me what you thought of that idea, Kim. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I just, I don't know, man. It seems like people are much more keen to let things divide them than unite them. And the number of cigar smokers is already pretty limited in comparison to the entire population. Sure. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. We being cigar smokers at large have struggled to, to get on the same page for years, ever since this legislative talk started in earnest. So speaking of uh, uh, things that are killing the cigar industry, I hear Reddit uh, dropped the hammer on tobacco users and and uh, uh, inclusive of premium cigar sub channels, subreddits that they had. Yeah, not not the not the subreddits themselves, not not our cigars. No, they're not dead. But they have uh, published a new list of prohibited behaviors on Reddit, and so what what they're doing, and though I, I'm going to assume many people within the sound of my voice know what Reddit is, it's a very popular forum slash message board gathering spot trading place uh, <laughs> agora uh, for cigar smokers, and there are thousands of guys. That, that participate and contribute and be a, and are a part of this. Um, but Reddit published a, a new policy this past week that prohibits any kind of solicitation or, or buying, selling, uh, trading, gifting uh, of tobacco products and any number of other products, firearms, alcohol, other controlled substances and, and whatnot. Um, 
they're prohibiting that. And, and I only stuck it in the notes and wanted to mention it because that is a big part of what goes on or has gone on with Reddit is the trading and secret Santas and all that kind of thing. And, and presumably that's all going to have to end or at least find some other outlet to, to manage it. If, if they're not even allowed to, to participate in trading or, or giving of gifts or any kind of solicitations related to it. You know, I know of Reddit. I visit a couple subreddits. But um, <clears throat> I mean, I think the only login that I have was a a group login from a, uh, a a video game guild that at one point I belonged to. Um, I, I I am not. <laughs> oh yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, I am not a a vastly experienced Reddit user. But is there the ability? Do you know? to make subreddits that are completely private or is it only a public website? I have zero clue. Not any idea. I, I kind of tinkered with the whole Reddit thing pre half ashed back when I was doing the cigar me stuff. Uh, just kind of had a tangent to it. I never really was, was involved, but I know it's a pretty massive community. Hmm. I had a conversation last night with someone that said uh, um, they run all of their cigar industry or their cigar business marketing um, via social social media and that in the last year, Twitter and Facebook have all but died and the, the greatest concentration now of cigar social media usage is Instagram, which was very surprising to me. Yeah, that's that's been a trend amongst the youth. I mean, taking cigars out of the equation, but the migration from those other social media platforms toward Instagram's been going on for years. Even though Facebook owns Instagram now. It's weird to me that that a, a site like Twitter wouldn't wouldn't be uh, the be all and end all of this. I, I'm very very surprised, given that cigars are are predominantly not a youthful uh, uh, product. Um, although maybe the FDA would like to prove me wrong in that statement. Um, <laughs> you, you are probably correct. I, I am really surprised that that is the case. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm not as heavily involved in any of the social media platforms as I once was because it seems like they often become more of a bother <laughs> than anything productive. Hmm. That and I'm getting older and grumpier and more crotchety. Yeah, you got enough kids on your lawn. Literally, you don't need them uh, electronically. Exactly. And it better stay off my tomato plants because I'm going to put them out there next week. Oh, goody. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, you've got a freaking metric buttload of those things. Are you going to grow <laughs> that many plants? No, I'm going to share them with Nick and William. Okay, good. I uh, If you were going to eat that many thousands of tomatoes that you would have from all those things, I was going to be worried. Now I'm going to have to 
take up canning or something. Yeah, no joke. Canning and sauce making and ketchup making. You're going to give Heinz a run for their money. Yeah, about uh, the vernissage. I don't know how you say that. That one, the black tomatoes. Yeah. About 50 of those guys have sprouted up. And only about 20 of the Abe Lincolns. I'm pretty dang excited. Well, I'm really excited too, man. I'm really excited. If I can, uh, if I can offer any suggestions on this cigar podcast, uh, <laughs> heavily, heavily, heavily cage those things. Yeah. Um, not just for themselves, but man, I would imagine you're going to get some uh, very curious uh, uh, animal that wants to eat those. Yeah, the birds will be all over them. Yeah. We have these things, these things, these birds called African basket weavers. And I would <laughs> assume, but I don't know for sure, I would assume at some point they came here from Africa since they're named that. But they're these yellow birds, a little bigger than your fist. And they build these, their nest is a sphere, it's a ball, and they cool. just have a, a hole in it. And the, there's a sour orange tree back behind our house, and it is just full of them. And I know those jokers will be all over these plants as soon as they start doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, don't be, don't hesitate to absolutely prune the living Jesus out of those things. You could see as many tomatoes as you do leaves, and that's not an exaggeration. Holy cow. So <clears throat> they'll work okay. I guess we're going to have to start eating spaghetti every other day or something. Mm-hmm. Borscht. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I am uh, I am definitely halfway done with this cigar. Where are you at? Yeah, I am probably a little ahead of you now. I don't think I have well, maybe right at half. I got three and a half, three and three quarter inches maybe. Oh, yeah. You're definitely further than me. What you thinking? I dig it. Uh, I um, I think I'm going to have to try and surgically clip a little bit more off. I have a little bit of room to spare. I don't clip much off a cigar to start, but I think I've gotten it kind of wet, so it's tightened up a little bit, the draw. But otherwise, just talking a little bit about the, the flavors going on, it's a little drier. Uh, a dustier feel to it. And I'm not talking the cocoa powder kind of dust, but it, it feels drier. Now the smoke leaves a drying impression on the palate. Um, absolutely not a negative, just, just a, as a neutral comment. Um, I kind of have lost the floral flavors, got a little bit more, maybe not quite woodsy, uh, but feels like it's kind of heading that direction a little bit. Um, there never was a great deal of sweetness, but that seems to have disappeared entirely now. But I'm grooving on it so far. I agree with the comments about the sweetness being all but gone. Um, the floral nature of that, um, the floral nature of this is fully transitioned away. Um, I'm not very drying on the palate. Uh, I'm not getting that. But there is that that woodsy core that I think is actually going to be more of a, a herbaceous tea type 
I, I don't know. There, it's not so much woody to me. I'm thinking of some of the black teas that I've had. It's like a, a strong tea aroma, almost so much so that you could consider it to be like a woody aroma. Very, very strong and hard. Um, yeah. But a little bit more er- er- herbal. Yeah, uncorrupted tea where it's just straightforward tea. It's not Earl Grey with a crap ton of Correct. bergamot. Correct. It's not Bakoway with orange. It's just tea-ish. Hmm. I can follow you. I'm there with you. And that that is definitely there's there's so much in this that makes me go, oh ten more years. And uh, you know, I'll just I'll just whisk those up right away. We'll uh we'll have these later on then. But no, I I I'm seeing so many aspects of this that are that are telling me that there is there is more to come. There's no doubt about it. There is more to come with this and what I'm experience or what I'm expecting will get there. I'm just nowhere near at that point. That'd be what I'm thinking at least. Cool radio. I'm with you. Hmm. I'm trailing. I'm trailing from the lead because I'm further along in the sewer. Well, we are uh, we are about to talk about some other cigars that we've had since our last show, and you've got for once uh, the rather long-winded responses. <laughs> Tell me about this first one. Was I talking to you about this last? No, oh, no, no, not a Norteño. I was talking to you about something else from Willie Herrera. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about this? Sorry, I got a little bit choked up. A little bit of that drying effect on the throat. Um, I had the opportunity to revisit a couple of cigars in this week, this last two weeks since our last show. And um, one of those was the, the Herrera Esteli Norteño, specifically in the Bellicoso Fino, which is a little Robusto-sized Bellicoso. That's five inches by 50 ring. And I don't know that I had ever smoked this particular Vitola. But what I remembered from this cigar, and and I may be completely off, it seems like it was more akin to a Lonsdale-ish Vitola, but I wouldn't swear to it. Because it's been sometime, 2013, 2014, since they came out. I enjoyed them at the time, but they had a very specific niche for me. They were um, pretty straightforward, what we would call the current day, modern, last decade of Nicaraguan blending, where it's fairly potent in strength. Um, But sometimes, I I put in the notes that sometimes it could kind of tap dance on that line of becoming shrill or astringent, where it's just a little too frenetic a little too uh much it's a very bright kind of flavor that could be overpowered by the strength because they were a little strong pound for pound now i was not smoking a giant cigar so they weren't unbearable but they were something that i did not reach for frequently but i didn't mind smoking them when the opportunity arose that all being said this i don't know if it's my palate has changed. I don't know if it's because it's a different Vitola. I don't know if the blend has migrated a little bit. I, I, I don't have the answers, but I'm, all I'm saying is this one that I smoked this week was orders of magnitude 
more enjoyable for me personally than the ones I remembered from, you know, three, four or five years ago. Wow. Um, it was perfectly balanced. It, it had a, I put chocolate and chili kind of flavor. You know, when you, you can get dark chocolate that has a little bit of chili powder uh-huh. Uh-huh. mixed in with it. And I really, really enjoy that and infrequently find it in cigars. Uh, but it, but it had that kind of flavor and it was, Maybe on the heavier end of medium in strength, but not quite what I would say full strength. It, it, it was, you knew you had a cigar, but it wasn't going to overpower anyone. And of course, it was small to begin with as well. Uh, very well made, smoked perfectly, burned perfectly. It it was a thoroughly enjoying, thoroughly enjoyable cigar. Yeah. Wow. Well, I am surprised to hear that not that i think poorly of the the norteño but um i don't think fondly of it either yeah i i like i said i enjoyed them but they were in a very specific niche where i had to be in a very specific mindset and mood to reach for one back when they first came out. But this one that I had this week, if if they're all that way, I smoke this thing just about any time. It, it was a very good cigar. Hmm. That is uh, that is not even veiled uh, in it was good, but however, I, I should be saying that that is straightforward uh, high praise. I'm very surprised. No, I, I, that's all I got for it. I mean, it, it I don't know that it was a fluke. I don't know that it wasn't. I have one example right now, but I got a couple more to smoke, and I'll I'll report back after those. But that one was fantastic. Yeah, I uh, I have a feeling you're not going to sit on those. <laughs> <laughs> you are feeling correctly. Yeah, I thought I would be. Yeah, I have spring break coming up next week, so they'll probably be gone by Monday. <laughs> You had mentioned that, and uh, uh, I thought as much when you told me that earlier. I said, oh, Kip's going to smoke through all of his good cigars in the next week. There is a very good chance. Well, I I do not have very much written down in the notes, but I do have a couple interesting cigars to talk about. Um, The first of which is slightly, pardon me, Slightly related to this El Rey del Mundo that we're smoking, in that it is another older-ish Cuban cigar from 2003. But this one, not a commercially available cigar, but rather a custom blended and rolled cigar by the master blender that goes by the name Yolanda in Cuba. Uh, This was a Salamone, which if you are unfamiliar with that size, it is probably the largest well-known figurado. Um, there are some larger, but this is probably the largest well-known figurado. It is not a Parejo at all. It is not straight sides. Um, it's essentially a, a, a nipple at the foot, and then it balloons within the first half an inch or so to its widest ring gauge. And I believe that the widest ring gauge for Salomon is 57. And then it tapers down eventually to a bellicoso tip. Um, and these, hold on, let me take a puff so I don't go out. 
<laughs> Starting to go up. These I have had for well over 10 years. I bought this bundle from a friend of mine, a Canadian friend of mine, um, who regularly was going to Cuba around that time. Um, and I had never had Cuban Salomones. I never really had Salomones before I bought these. And uh, bought them because it just seemed like that cool novelty thing to have. Well, I immediately regretted it because I did not love these cigars at the time. They were so unique and so floral. You would think they'd be right up my alley in that they were very uh, light and mild, but they were far from it. Um, they were a cigar that was much more about uh, a cigar that was much more about. Um, gosh, what do I want to say? I don't know. Being different or being funky, being almost you. You mentioned shrill earlier as that the old school Nortenos kind of walked that line. Well, this didn't walk the line. It was it was heavily, heavily, heavily floral, and it was beyond that line. Um, it was just too much. So I stayed away from them for quite some time. I was not a fan. And then eventually, um, they went into some deep, dark box in my cabinet, and I found them eh, last month or so. And I thought, you know, I need to give those a try again. I know that they've been transitioning. That floral flavor is was getting a little deeper. There was a little bit more to it. It wasn't so crisp and cloying. Um, and so I lit one up yesterday, and the thing with Salamones is that since they're a large cigar... Um, they are synonymous for burning forever. And I lit this up at about six o'clock when I left my house to head to, uh, meet up with Mike Stewart. And I smoked that until darn near nine 30. It burned forever. And it was fantastic. It's right on that edge of being, of being too floral but much like this cigar, as it burned down, it developed a balance, an absolute perfect counterbalance to that floral flavor in not so much a, a woody core, like what you were saying for this, but in much more of a, a very, um, whereas the, the floral nature was drying and crisp, a kind of a, a dense earthiness that was just so moist. It, it just absolutely incited a perfect salivary response for me, um, which balanced out that crispness from the, the floral. Um, really, really good. I'm glad I did not smoke these too young. They have developed into a really interesting cigar. Huh. You know what? I, I feel like I've smoked that cigar. I believe you. I have sent you some. I believe that had to have been it. It was either that or our shared Canadian friend on the forum. I don't believe that it, uh, well, I suppose it could have come from him, but I am reasonably certain that I sent you some of those. Yeah, it had no band on it except uh, like a handwritten band that just said Yolanda, I think. Yeah, then it would have been from me. Yep. Okay. But it's been a long time. Well, if you still happen to have one of those, light it up. It has changed. Cool. I will check. I don't believe I do, but I'll check. Well, my only other entry tonight was another 
revisit uh, to a cigar line, and again, probably not, or not probably not the same uh, Butola that I recalled. I had the um, <laughs> I'm getting choked up again. These <laughs> cigars making me all misty tonight. The Crowned Heads La Imperiosa uh, Mexico. And I smoked this, and I remember smoking these when they first came out, and it hasn't been that long ago. Um, uh, the uh, Mahiko is a four and a half by 52 uh, little guy, and it was another pleasant surprise. Both these cigars I put on here tonight were put here because they were the highlights of my last two weeks huh. um, in terms of cigars. Um, these, I believe, came out in 2015-ish. They were uh, supposedly or reportedly kind of a spinoff from the 2014 Las Calaveras, uh, which was limited run uh, from Crackheads, which happened to be my favorite release of that that edition, that Las Calaveras. Uh, really, really dug that 2014 uh, a lot, actually. Uh, but anyway... Uh, this cigar, though, was very much like that, but I felt like it was quite a bit more suave. It was more um, approachable, more soft around the edges. There weren't any edges left to it, and I don't at all mean that in a negative way. It was a very comfortable, pleasing, easygoing kind of cigar and deliciously tasty. Like Sunday um, morning? Yeah, easy like a Sunday morning. <laughs> there was there was some typical Nicaraguanish kind of spice to it, and I put in the notes actually most of what I would have most of the time I would have said there was some spice actually came upon relighting it hours after I had started smoking it, and you know for a tiny little cigar that sometimes those can get a little murky if you let them rest. If you light and smoke and then put it down for a while and come back. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was spicy, but it came right back around. It, it it revived beautifully. It didn't hang on to that ashy, harsh bitterness that sometimes kind of creeps up in a, in a cigar when you relight it. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that was there when I initially relit, but quickly dissipated. And it just jumped right back into its stride and was a delicious cigar through and through. Um, but even that spice uh, I put in here was tempered by this background of sweetness that, that I really, really liked. A, a very, um, not not the bitterness of a dark chocolate, but more of a almost a cocoa-y, milk chocolatey kind of sweetness that was there. And I, I really grooved on it the whole time, all the way down to like burning a ring out of my whiskers. One day I want to see you come onto the show for the broadcast and have absolutely no no hair <laughs> up until your nostrils. Back when I was not a, a an experienced or prolific cigar smoker, when it was a rare occasion that I would have a cigar, I often would have a Don Carlos Number no. Three from Fuente because that was my favorite cigar. I loved them. And Christy, sure. Christy, my wife, always made the joke that she knew when I had had it on Carlos because there was a, <laughs> a ring burned out of my mustache. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Our favorite cigars, man. You just can't get enough. Never. But I see you have two more on here, and I'm interested in the both of them. Yeah, you know, the first of which on there, um, I have to say, was... uh, eh, How do I want to put this? An obligation, perhaps? (laughs) So I talked last week that I had, or last recording, that I had an Avro Synchro. And I remembered these cigars pretty fondly when... Um, you brought them back from IPCPR a few years ago. Um, and I, this may very well have still been one of those that you had given me. I, I don't recall exactly, but um, I, I had commented that I preferred them more when they were a little bit fresher, that it wasn't the, the same uh, impression that I was left with in terms of being, um, in terms of being very positive on the cigar. Um, well, so I tried again because I knew that I had some other versions. And so this time I had an Avo Synchro 2 Nicaragua. Uh, and the Vitola was the Fogada. This is one big cigar for me. I guess it's a 56 ring by six and a half, guessing. Um, I <clears throat> lit this cigar up because I thought, you know, I don't remember that last Synchro saying Nicaragua on the band. Maybe there are variations to the synchro. Synchro is like, I don't know. Uh, it's just a generic term for them. You know, maybe maybe that's it. So I lit this up and immediately, immediately I could tell that the the Nicaraguan version of this was a completely different blend than what I had two weeks ago. Uh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't um, complete. I shouldn't necessarily have used that word, but it was significant and different enough to where there was uh, a very, very balanced, hard and soft, sweet and savory component. It hit. It hit all four corners of your of your spectrum in terms of what it did. Um, what it did for the smoker. It was definitely a little bit stronger. There was more to it, uh, both in flavor as well as um, uh, strength-wise, legitimate nicotine strength-wise. I did not finish the cigar um, because it was gigantic, but it was absolutely enjoyable. I would smoke another one of these. If I could get this in a traditional 5x50 Robusto, and it was an affordable price, which Avo at times can be more expensive than what I'd like to pay. I would smoke these on a regular basis. It was delicious. Yeah, you can actually get it in a Robusto. What is it, $11 or something ridiculous? <laughs> uh, 9 50 ish So in our area, 13 bucks with tax. Yes, in, in Chicago, it's like $78, I think. <laughs> You're gonna say seven or eight dollars more, but no, seventy-eight might also be really realistic. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, it was it was an absolute refreshing. Ah, so that's why people smoke new stuff, so they can, so they can have these. Uh, oh yeah, that's pretty good sort of moments. 
I was very happy that I had this. <clears throat> so, cool. And then the next one is, uh, this is a brand new offering to me um, in that, in, in two fronts, actually. One, I've never smoked this specific cigar, I believe, uh, before. And two, I was handed a bag of cigars from you via Mike Stewart yesterday when we got together, and this was one in the bag. So I got a little bit of uh, uh, show prep done a little bit early and decided to smoke the Southern Draw Pennsylvania Broadleaf Corona. I thought it was delicious. Yeah, that it's uh, it's like that uh, Quick Draw. Remember those? I do remember those. I I well, I remember those, but I don't think the Quick Draw had the Pennsylvania Broadleaf wrapper. They they had uh, multiple wrappers. One of them was a Pennsylvania. The other was something else. I thought that the I thought that the Pennsylvania was in the blend though. I don't remember that quick draw being a, a Maduro wrapper leaf, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I wouldn't swear to it. Well I I, I thought mean, th- th- what what you smoked was a quick draw Pennsylvania broadleaf Maduro wrapper. What I smoked yesterday? If it's the ones I sent, yeah. Oh, that was a quick draw? Yeah, Gosh, I thought the quick draw were little four inches. I think this was the follow up. It seems like there's two of them now. Hmm. I may be completely wrong. I, I have not kept abreast of Southern Draw. Well, Southern Draw. Here's your primer. Generally, you're getting AJ Fernandez blended products. Generally, See? not always. Generally, one, two. Pennsylvania Broadleaf is a really unique, sweeter, tangier version of of what's commonly thought of to be the Broadleaf flavors from Connecticut. Yeah, and, and if I can break in a second, they, they are available in two different sizes. There's a 4.5 by 44 and a 5.5 by 40, and you had the 5.5 by 40. Okay. This well, time. Thank you very much. I was unaware that these were also available in that Vitola. I, I believe the first time around, a couple years ago, we had that smaller one. Mm-hmm. That's what my memory was of the quick draw. It was the little four and a halfer. Yeah. Um, now, I found this to be, I don't exactly remember the uh, the experience of the original quick draws that we had. I know that I liked them, but I remember this to be really, really exhibiting that wrapper leaf, that Pennsylvania broadleaf tobacco, which I'm sure you sent along because you know that I enjoy Pennsylvania broadleaf. See? Uh, thank you for that. Uh, that's exactly why I grabbed it yesterday. So I I was very, very, very pleased to enjoy this. Now, I lit this up... Um. I lit this up on my way home last night, a little bit before that. Uh, I did not go to bed right away. When I got home, my wife was in bed already, so I didn't really want to go to bed. So I tried to light this up again later on, and it was gone. It was ashen. It was unable to be smoked at that point. Um, It was... It just tasted like a generic burned out cigar that had no more of the 
the components or the flavors that I, or the characteristics, I should say, that I was looking for. So great cigar. Maybe try smoking it all at once. I, uh, I didn't do anything different than what I normally do if I ever relight a stick and this did not come through. So the first third was delicious. It was, it was like having a rich meal and putting a little bit of vinegar with it. Let's that a little bit of, of acid citrus, just a, Great, great, great balance to it. Really enjoyable, but yeah, and that is a good size to to smoke all at once. And I totally get where you're coming from, and it's not necessarily to me anyway a strictly a southern draw or a quick draw thing, but more in my jacked up, broken mind, more attributable to AJ's blends and. Uh, Robert Holt, I mean, he's the guy blending these. AJ rolls them. I understand that. <clears throat> but a lot of times, uh, a lot of products that come from AJ Fernandez factory can, by the, by the end of them, they have, I, I have some palate fatigue. Uh, I'm kind of ready to put them down sometimes a little early. Hmm. I, uh, I'm not exactly sure that this was the cigar that was, that this was the point at which the cigar had gotten, uh, tiresome because I, I couldn't have been more than two inches into it and it's a five and a half inch cigar. I mean, there's no chance that it was done at that point. Right. I I agree. But, But so I, I'm looking forward to uh, the show cigar. Perhaps uh, if we don't have anything on the schedule for you next time, which I have not looked, maybe we can have this. So this memory stays fresh in my mind. Consider it done. Boom. See, folks, not only are we talking about our current segment, we're giving you a preview. We're that good at this. <laughs> well, people just think this happens by the seat of our pants. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're doing this all the while chatting about moho pork in the chat room. <laughs> I'm waiting for the show to be done so I can hear what your definition of moho pork is. <laughs> uh, well, I, that uh, that rounds me out for cigars that I've had since our last show that I thought were notable. Uh, do, you, uh, do you have any final thoughts? It looked like you were just about done on this Grandes de España. I am, and... My only final thought that I'll add is, uh, as weird as this is, normally we, not normally, sometimes we have different ideas about the strength of a blend. Uh, uh, This is not as mild to me as you described it earlier. It has been throughout its entirety, but right now, with every puff, I feel it a little more, a little little bit of a cold sweat breaking out on my forehead, and I'm not dizzy or queasy or ill or anything like that, but I'm feeling the, the effect of the cigar by this point. I'm now five and a half inches into the thing. Well, I, um, I'm surprised by that. I don't have the slightest bit of a nicotine kick from this. I did finish dinner just before I started recording, so perhaps uh, that, that had something to do with it. That's a good point. I ate a very light dinner, and it's been five hours ago now. 
Sorry, I'm going to try to burn this cigar out if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> um, my construction has been absolutely flawless. Any of these times when it's gone out has because has been because I have not paid enough attention to it. Uh, I'd like to note that, but um, yeah, I, I will say that this has been a cigar that I I feel is uh, a solid foot in that. I don't think that this is one of those examples when you get pieces of tobacco randomly put into the bunch to make it even. I feel that this is probably a full leaf's worth lengthwise. And what we've seen is a continuous transition, both of of the tobacco changing due to the heat and combustion uh, while smoking it, but also due to the fact that as you get closer to the head of the cigar, you're closer to the the tobacco from the stem. And so that is typically more rich, flavorful, stronger tobacco. Um, and I think that the transitions that this cigar has experienced have absolutely demonstrated um, uh, what to expect in a traditional Cuban cigar, first third, second third, final third of flavor, because they are so notably different uh, notably unique, maybe not different, but you can certainly pinpoint um, uh, where they have varied and where they are similar to each other. That's kind of my lasting impression on this, that that is, that is so obvious as I'm moving down the uh, the length of this. Yeah, and Bob McDuffie's ideology aside, this one has been built perfectly as well. I had no troubles with it at all. This is definitely uh, prior to the the noted poor construction periods. Um, you did not see overproduction. You did not see uh, inexperienced rollers. This is about the time that they started bringing in inexperienced rollers, and they didn't cause problems for another year or so. But uh, this is classic, perfect construction. The wrapper is just gorgeous, uniform barely barely veiny uh really really pretty on this i won't say that it's per picture perfect but it's very very beautiful this is not a uh a cigar that somebody just slapped a wrapper on uh that the only wrapper they could find it's very well done Let's see but okay. it is definitely getting stronger isn't it i'm probably at two and a half inches left i got about well, maybe two inches. How don't I measure? I've got a ruler. Why don't I do this the right way? Oh, no, I'm more than that. I'm three and an eighth. Still. Holy cow. I'm nowhere near that. I'm going to stick with two inches because I was being generous with that. Well, it's still mighty enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. Well, it looks like we're about ready to wrap this joker up. Let's do it. Well, as always, folks, we're certainly glad you tuned in, whether you're listening live soon or in the far distant future uh, from tonight. We're glad you came by. And if you want to come back for episode 177, we will be smoking, as you just heard moments ago, the Southern Draw, Quick Draw, Pennsylvania Broadleaf, uh, uh, five and a half by 40 was it? I'm not, sure, I'm not sure without going back and looking. Um, 
But in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can get us by email to craig at halfashed.com or kip at halfashed.com. Or you can find us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, of course, our very own little corner of the Internet at the forum at halfashed.com. And tonight's episode, being that it is the first in a while with a dedication, is going to go out to not just one person, but hopefully many, 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 many people. And that is tonight, I want to dedicate my portion of the show to those of you who will still have a conversation and not just assume that someone with an opposing view is incorrect, but perhaps look at life and look at communication as a way to learn something and maybe teach something. So to all of you with that mindset, any good work that I've done tonight is because of you folks. And to all the rest of you who maybe that doesn't apply to, but if you're still listening, (laughs) I appreciate it nonetheless. And I say to you, in the words of my wise mentor, good night, everybody, and thanks for listening.